Live from Utrecht, this is the fan William Schorznedo. That's right. Hello. Shorts, welcome back. Thank you. You confirmed your status as Bitcoin Core Elite Developer this week. Absolutely. Thanks to me, there, there has never been a more amazing way to send Bitcoin. This is absolutely groundbreaking. It changed everything. It changed nothing. Okay, to be clear, this is not what the episode's going to be about. The episode's going to be about Lipsack P256K1 library. That's right. But I want to know about this game-changing technology that you just built and implemented. What is it? What did it do? Okay, so... How did it change the world, Sure. So there are many ways to send Bitcoin, but one of them is you download the Bitcoin Core software, and then it gives you a really nice graphical interface. You click a bunch of buttons and poof. So uh, good. So, so far, so good? So far, so good, but there's also a command line way to do it, and especially if you need to do anything advanced, like using it with a hardware wallet, you'll have to use the command line. And it turns out the command line doesn't do exactly what I wanted to do. And so then you just make a pull request to change it. What did you want to do exactly that it didn't do? Well, in, in this case, originally, I wanted to add PSPT support to... Partially signed Bitcoin transactions. Exactly, which yes. we discussed in the first episode. I wanted to add that to the standard way of sending. But the problem is these command lines, this command line stuff is used by a lot of automated systems. So a lot of Bitcoin exchanges, they might be running Bitcoin Core and they might be relying, or Bitcoin ATMs, they might be relying on these, on these methods, which means if you change them, you have to be very, very careful not to suddenly break like a million Bitcoin ATMs, mm -hmm. right? So any change to the existing method will, will run into that type of problem. You can usually add stuff, but then it becomes super ugly because you just add another argument and another argument. And, and so it just becomes tedious to use. So... Ultimately, I decided to just create a new send method. So now there's like five different ways to send from the command line. Right. But there, were, there was a couple that were really designed from the beginning just to send coins to somebody else. And there was a couple designed for PSPT specifically. But those are very inconvenient to use if you just want to send something and click OK on a hardware device. Right. So, th so this one is future proof. It, it should be able to send coins very quickly. But if you want to then expand Bitcoin Core to work with hardware wallets. It's like a one-line change so that it also works for that, which is kind of why I build it. So it was a prerequisite of the, one of the many, many, many prerequisites to having easy-to-use hardware wallet support. Right, yeah, you've done a bunch of work on hardware wallet integration for Bitcoin Core, haven't you? A, a little bit, yeah. Uh, I think uh, the bulk is still uh, Andrew Chow. He's been completely re rewritten the wallet. Mm -hmm. I like to test this stuff and review it. But I, yeah, I'm using the library, the HWI library, that he wrote, which is basically just a collection of drivers from all the different hardware wallets. Mm -hmm. So all the different hardware wallets, they usually have some Python code, but that also supports all their shitcoins. And this, we basically just took the essential parts of the code with just Bitcoin support right. and just shoved it into one one little project that you can download. Right. So yeah, and this new, this the, the ultimate send RPG, what was it called? RPC? Yeah, the ultimate send RPC was the oh. name. I think it's going to be marked experimental because there'll be probably be plenty of bike shedding of what the exact interface should look like. Right. But it's a, but it's a small step towards hardware wallet integration. Another one of 100 small yeah. steps. Yes. Great. Thank you, Shores. Yeah, I was a bit surprised that it got merged as quickly as it did. Oh, so uh, should it, we be concerned? Like uh, <laughs> should we be worried? No. Okay. We're going to discuss Lipsack P256K1. 
<laughs> Thank you. Why are we going to discuss it? We are going to discuss it because PIP340 support was merged into Lipsec P256K1 this week. What was merged? <laughs> Shut up. Snore was added. Yes, okay, yeah, so Snore, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for actually make it clear, making it clear for our um, listener. Oh, I misunderstood, misunderstood your question. Yeah, Snore was added. Yes. So, Lipsec P256K1 is a library. That's right. And we're going to explain what this library actually is or why it exists or what it does. And the reason we're going to explain that is because I actually didn't know that much about it. I sort of, it's one of these things for me that I heard about and I kind of know what it is, but I never really got into it to any sort of serious extent. Okay, libraries, first of all. Let's yep. start with libraries. Let's talk about libraries. There's a thing called software libraries. Yes. And I'll just let you explain what a software library is, first of all. Well, so for any programmer that's listening, this is probably going to be very, very newish for you, but... For people like me, this is actually kind of interesting. The easiest way to describe what a library is, is it's a reusable piece of software. So, yeah, for example, uh, OpenSSL is the library we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. It is a piece of software that lets you do all sorts of cryptographic operations from creating random numbers to signing stuff with, like, every curve under the, under the sun. But it's not an actual program. It doesn't really do anything by itself, but other programs can use a library to do whatever they want. Yeah. Without having to rewrite that stuff. Or I assume you can take a part of the library, not necessarily the whole library, but get a specific... You can you, you take the entire library, but you use a subset of it. Exactly, right. yes. Yeah. So Bitcoin was at some point in the past relying on OpenSSL? Yeah, until actually very recently, a few months ago. Yeah. But for less and less and less stuff. So in the beginning, OpenSSL was used for all the things. Mm -hmm. In particular, the reason it was needed is because Satoshi picked a cryptographic curve, the uh, SecP256K1 mm -hmm. curve, because it was pretty, and OpenSSL had support for it. So he did not have to write all this, this cryptographic functionality, which, of course, you never want to do yourself. It's, it's very dangerous to write your own cryptographic stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is also a reason why he didn't use Schnorr, because there was no library for it. Was no, there were other reasons, but this was a big this was a reason, right? For a practical reason. So just to be clear, when you say Bitcoin Core or Satoshi used this library, the OpenSSL library, like how does a how does a software program actually use library? You just Google on Stack Overflow how do you, how to use OpenSSL, and then you just look at the examples. And Let me rephrase the, the question. Say. Let me re rephrase the question. Where is the library? Oh, the library is included in the software package when you download it. Right. So, so the, in this the case... The binary file contains some of the Bitcoin Core-specific stuff and then a whole bunch of libraries. And that's what makes it so big, or like 20, 20 megabytes. Right. So when you download Bitcoin Core, the mm -hmm. software, Bitcoin Core 20 is the newest one, I guess. Yep. Then you actually download, well, in this case, not OpenSSL anymore, but you for Bitcoin 19, you actually downloaded the whole OpenSSL library. Yeah, that's correct. And, and OpenSSL... And then, and then it's living... hosted on your computer from that point on it's just yes. you have the library on your computer on yeah. your own computer right now okay. there, there is two ways to go about that you can have a library sitting on your computer already and then software can say let me just see if i can find that library and i'll use that mm -hmm. then your download gets smaller mm -hmm. but the problem is that libraries change and so you don't want to be surprised by what's on the computer especially with cryptographic stuff right and even if you include it in the download you can be surprised by what happens to the library, because somebody else is maintaining that library. If you're not paying attention to what that other person is doing, 
they might break something very bad. Right. So in the case of, let's stick to Bitcoin 19, Bitcoin Core 19. For, well, in this case, maybe take an older one, because I, th I think it was Bitcoin Core 0 0.8 or something. Or Let's take Bitcoin Core. I don't know where you're going okay. with this, but let's take that one. Yep. <laughs> so someone else is maintaining this library. Yep. Bitcoin Core developers are maintaining Bitcoin. Yep. They write something in the code. They use some part of the library. You download the library from that, from the Bitcoin Core code. They a part of the library is used, and then the Bitcoin Core developers may not have noticed some changed some change that happened in the library, and all of a sudden the stuff that they wanted Bitcoin Core to do isn't actually doing what they wanted Bitcoin Core to do because the library wasn't doing what they thought it would do because someone else was maintaining the library. Is, yes. that, is that a correct summary? Yeah, that's right. And and to, to clarify what specifically happened here... It's, yeah, you're, you, you, picked, bit, you picked Bitcoin Core 8 because there was a specific example you wanted to go yeah, to. Yeah, I might be wrong about the number because Bitcoin Core 8 had a different problem. But sort of around that time, um, there was another bug in OpenSSL that I believe was unrelated to the problem that happened. But they basically had to upgrade OpenSSL because the old version was simply not safe. Mm -hmm. But unbeknownst to the core devs, uh, there was another change in OpenSSL when they upgraded. And in particular, this was about when you see a signature, do you consider it valid or not? And the original version of OpenSSL was pretty relaxed. So it would accept signatures as valid even if they did not meet the exact spec. Now, they mm. wouldn't be signed by somebody else, so it wasn't about stealing funds, but it was just, you could be a little bit sloppy about, you know, maybe you add a byte to the signature or maybe not, mm -hmm. right? Just so, so the notation could be a bit sloppy. And the new version was very picky. Mm. Now, if you used Bitcoin software to create a transaction, that was not a problem because any Bitcoin transaction was signed very strictly according to the protocol. But if you're now validating these transactions, if you use old software, and you would see a sloppy version that was made with some other piece of software, the old software would be fine, the new software would say it's invalid. So all of a sudden you have an accidental soft fork. Right, and that's what actually happens. Well, yes, well, that's, it, that's it never BIP happened in the wild. Right. So BIP is that what we're talking about here? Correct, BIP66 yeah. was introduced because people became aware of this problem, at least some of the developers became aware of this problem. So they knew there was like an accidental soft fork time bomb basically, mm. the code. And so they proposed BIP66 as saying, oh, by the way, we should be more strict about these, uh, what these signatures look like without saying, oh, by the way, there's a bug in OpenSSL, so we better do this now. Oh, it was like a secret bug fix of a problem yes. with OpenSSL? I exactly. don't think I knew that. Okay. Well, yeah. Of, I mean, OpenSSL essentially improved itself by becoming more strict, but that made it a consensus change. Right. Because what's consensus code, it's also whatever your libraries are doing. Right, yep. So basically, OpenSSL introduced a soft fork, but without saying, oh, you know, there's, there's no deployment date in the OpenSSL update. It just randomly happened. Right. So and that's a, so that's a great example of why a dependency, because that's the official term, is a problem. Yeah, exactly. This is a good example of that. And there have been more problems with OpenSSL, I think. I mean, OpenSSL is famous for vulnerabilities. And, you know, the main, I think, big reason behind that is that these libraries are used by everyone for decades but they're only maintained by like one guy in germany and mm -hmm. who doesn't get funded right so just like curl i think is another famous example of that it's like a library that that downloads files curl it's used everywhere it's probably used in a space shuttle but there's <laughs> just one guy that maintains it and nobody's helping right and that's not good when the entire internet relies on it and in the case of open ssl yeah there have been plenty of bugs and it's very easy to make mistakes with cryptographic code you know yeah. You forget, um, and it's written in C, so you forget a 
Semicolon. Whoops. Right. <laughs> now you're skipping a line. So one of the bugs that was called Heartbleed. Yeah, that was, I think it was fairly recent, a couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. I think it was a, a, a missing colon or like literally just a one character mistake. Yeah. That and it affected basic. Log, yeah, it allowed you to log into any computer on the on the internet. Affected everything. Without a password. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. That that's a sort of severity and something like that in Bitcoin, of course, you know, could mean oh now we have a problem. Everybody can just steal all the money. So eventually, well, at the same time, uh, Peter Wagner was working on a library. For for our American and English listeners, that's Peter Vuli, <laughs> or however they want to pronounce it. Yeah, or Sipa or Sipa. <laughs> he, he Peter Wagner, go yeah, on. He was working on a library, so a piece of software, that was specifically designed to s- create and verify Bitcoin signatures. And his original motivation was just to do it faster than OpenSSL. Hmm, okay. And he, so it wasn't a security motivation. No. It was just a performance improvement motivation. Exactly. He, okay. explains this in a, he explains this in a podcast he did with Chaincode. So if you Google that, it might be in the show notes. Basically, he wanted to make it, I think, about four times faster. And he could try and modify the OpenSSL code itself. But apparently, it's like such a nightmare to change any of that code. And also... The OpenSSL code is very generic. It has to support all different kinds of cryptography. So it's more difficult. If you want to change anything, you have to change, be very abstract in all the things you do. Right? It's just, just like when you write a law. Like You can't just say, John can't go to the supermarket. You have to say something like, well, anybody over the you know 20 centimeters in size cannot go to a supermarket. So it's very difficult to write these abstract documents. So he basically wrote it from scratch specifically for that curve. And it was added to Bitcoin Core, I think, pretty early but just to verify signatures and then later on also to create signatures and that coincided with this security vulnerability so it was a good but i don't think it was a cause of it it was sort of around the same time it's like okay we've we've had this near miss like we could have had a serious problem let's not use open ssl for that critical stuff anymore yeah and so then the goal was to get rid of that dependent was now i forgot the word dependency dependency exactly Uh, and write a whole new cryptographic software library for bitcoin right it's just a the, the curve just a just a lipped curve just the thing right. that's used for signatures and yeah because there's other cryptographic code in the bitcoin core code base for example sha256 is in there and a few other curves and i think those were originally also from OpenSSL. Mm-hmm. those things are a little bit less scary like you can implement sha256 in a day if you're bored in any programming language Probably does it still use libraries for that though or was that rewritten? No, or so SHA-256, uh, as far as I know, is directly in the code. So it's just okay. it's just copy-pasted from somewhere and then improved. Right, got it. Okay, uh, so LIPSEC-256, am I saying that right? LIPSEC-P-256-K1. Thank you. That was to get rid... So it was meant as a performance improvement, then it was pivoted to actually be a new library for Bitcoin, or at least sort of Bitcoin-specific library, mm-hmm. to get rid of this dependency. You mentioned this before, but isn't that also a risk, like that rolling your own crypto? Or absolutely, is that, yes. absolutely. So mm-hmm. the fact that this thing was, like this was reviewed by a lot of people, a lot of good cryptographers, before adding it. And I think it was also compared against OpenSSL in terms of like using the same tests. But But yeah, at some point, I mean... At some point, you have to take that risk because mm-hmm. the other one is like just waiting for OpenSSL to explode. Plus, it was uh, Peter Reiler, so it can't really go wrong with that. Well, you know, <laughs> you don't want to have proof of Reiler. 
but I, a lot of very smart people looked at it. Probably the same people who would also look at OpenSSL. So, so that's good, but you don't want to make a habit of this. And in fact, you know, they, 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 they do make constantly make very small tweaks to that library to make it a little bit faster, but it's, you know, you want to be very careful with that. Right. Okay, so that's the library. Bitcoin has its own library now. Is this used by any other programs? But keep in mind, it's turtles all the way down, right? Because OpenSSL is also just written by people. Sure. So, so everything is an implementation at some point. Sure, sure. But, uh, <laughs> okay. So, your question? I guess my first question would be, is this library used by anything other than Bitcoin? Yes. So this library is, uh, I just heard it on a podcast with Vitalik, it's also used by Ethereum, mm -hmm. So and a whole bunch of other cryptocurrencies. Basically, any cryptocurrencies that uses the SecP256K1 elliptic curve, which is just a, a nice mathematical object. Right, mostly yeah. cryptocurrencies, though, only cryptocurrencies. It's, it's pretty cryptocurrency-specific, at least. Yeah, I'm not aware of any non-cryptocurrency project that uses it. It could, right? It's just a library that allows you to sign stuff, sign mm -hmm. messages, and verify the signature on a message. So you could write a encrypted chat application that uses this curve if you wanted to. Sure. But I don't know. I guess the, the encrypted chat applications out there might have their own curve that they use for their thing. I don't know what Signal uses, but they could. Yeah. Okay, so that's Lipsack. <laughs> I keep having to pronounce this. Yeah, we, we just splice it in the audio later. I'll just call, I'll just call it Lipsack. Is there anything else that's called Lipsack that would, would confuse people? Lipsack P. Lipsack P. Okay, so Lipsack P. Is that everything we need to know about Lipsack P? I think so. Yeah, okay, so BIP340 was merged, which is Snore. Exactly. This has been in development for a long time as well. Yep. I think for years, right? Correct. So this is also a new implementation of snore is this the first time snore has been included in any library because you just mentioned that i don't know it about wasn't any library but at least at the time when bitcoin was created there was no library for snore or at least it wasn't in open ssl which is like a widely tested library mm -hmm. you wouldn't just want to randomly download oh look somebody implemented snore right but so what happened is you know the the i think satoshi was aware of snore mm -hmm. but there was a patent on it so and there was no implementation. So it's kind of both of these things because I think the patent was actually expired in two thousand eight. Yeah. I so think it just lapsed or something. Yeah. Yeah, but but either way, you know, you don't just want to write this stuff from scratch. And if you if you're trying to d develop a world changing thing, you don't want to then spend three years just <laughs> just implementing the cryptography. Given how long it takes to really do this, so but actually, Schnorr is simpler. And I think we may have explained this in an earlier episode. But you mean simpler than than ECDSA? So yeah, than the uh, the because which is the elliptic curve algorithm that Bitcoin currently currently uses, right? And which the Lipsec P library implements. Yes. But the thing is, you have the same elliptic curve, but then in order to make a signature, you have to do slightly different calculations with it. Mm. So that also means that the change for Schnorr is not as complicated as, say, the initial version of Lipsec P was. The initial version of Lipsec P had to implement the curve all the operations you can do on a curve, like addition and multiplication, and then implement the signature algorithm of ECDSA. But in order to do Schnorr, you just need to do the signature algorithm for Schnorr. You don't have to do all the math, the basic foundational math. Right. So it's not a huge change. It's not like adding a whole new curve to it. It would right. be much more difficult to add, say, a different elliptic curve or even a completely different kind of curve than it is to change just uh, from, from ECDSA to Schnorr. It's a, a different way of signing. Okay. And in fact, a simpler way of signing. 
So this was implemented again by Peter Weil, I assume. Well, I know. Or, uh, right? The, I'm not. The spec was written by him. I think he also wrote most of the implementation, but uh, there's, you know, a lot and of there's others. A lot of people on top of that. Sure. And that was merged this week. So what does that mean exactly? What, where does this get us? Right. So what that means is there, there now is an updated version of this library, but nobody's using that library yet. And another change is that Bitcoin Core was changed, I think, a few days ago. To, to include that new version of the library. Right. To include it, not to actually use it in any way. So the first major release of Bitcoin Core, when you download that, you'll download the library that includes Snore. Exactly, because the usual process is stuff gets merged into the master branch on GitHub, and every six months or so, we say, okay, let's stop at this point and release whatever is in there. Mm -hmm. And so next time, that'll that'll include the Schnorr code. Yeah, it'll be in there. It might not do anything. It yeah. might have a few tests that, that try it. Right. If you don't run the tests, you're not going to run it. Yeah, Bitcoin, the next Bitcoin core release is not going to use Snore yet, is your prediction here. But, is that uh, your, that's your bold prediction. Uh, <laughs> I would say it would be <laughs> extremely reckless if it did. But there are but it is a that use it, right? A certain Bcash coin uses Schnorr, I believe. Oh, yeah, I think so. But the, the actual spec for Schnorr was changed a little bit, so I don't know if they're going to change along with it or not. Not a huge change. So anyways, it's going to be uh, included in the library. Next time you download it, you're yep. downloading this, but it doesn't actually do anything probably or not anything too important. Right. But that would be a next step then. Like, I want to I wanna excite our audience. We're getting somewhere, right? Yeah, we is are. That what, is that what... That's the plan, right? So the idea here, of course, is to have Schnorr as part of Taproot. So the entire Taproot thing, there are already pull requests that describe what it's supposed to do that are you know, not completely finished, but pretty far along. Mm -hmm. So maybe they'll go in the next version, so not in the upcoming one, but the next one. What I would imagine happens is that it gets added not to, not to mainnet, probably not even to testnet, but to this new thing called Signet, which is a whole new type of way to do testnet, which we can do another episode about. But basically, it'll, it'll go in some innocent way. So maybe there are just tests for it, you know, tests, to tests for everything Taproot related, and then anybody who knows how to compile code can just s flip a switch and try it on their own machine. But it won't be on mainnet or probably not even on testnet. And then maybe next version, you know, this stuff takes time. And then even, even though it's in sure, there... Sure, this isn't that exciting our audience. Well, your our audience uh, <laughs> got to pump it. Got to pump this, our, pump our, this coin, sure. I'm, I'm pumping load time <laughs> preference. This stuff takes a long, long time. But basically, you you add all the code in it, then then you make this, uh, so so everything is in there, but you don't activate it yet. And then the next time, you decide on activation mechanisms, and even those mechanisms might take a while. It's just that's that's a whole debate on its own, which we did an episode about, right? Yes. If I'm not misremembering. Okay, so that's what a library is. That's what a libsec P256K1 library specifically. Now you also know what Snore is. Well, actually, we didn't even get into what Snore is, but we get. Did we do that in a previous I can, episode? I can briefly sure, go for it. So yeah. it was, it's simpler. What, what's Snore actually? So, so, what happened is there was this patent on this very simple th system called Snore by a person called Snore. And it was very nice. It was a good way to make elect um, electronic signatures, but it was a patent on it. So people came up with a way to convolute the design, make it more complicated, mm -hmm. such that it would no longer fall under the patent. Right. So when the lawyer said, okay, this looks obscure enough. So they were just adding numbers to it and subtracting things, just, just making it more complicated. Yeah. And then it didn't violate the patent. And so they shipped it. Yeah. But now we ended up with this horrible thing 
th- that is convoluted you know, mess. basically proof of lawyer convoluted mess. And now that the patent is expired, we just go right back to the original design, which is much better. And right. mainly it's better because you can you can add signatures much more easily. And adding signatures is very nice. Cause yeah, just, you, you can perform math on it. Yeah, you could perform math on the original one, but you'd have to have a... You'd, you'd be able to publish papers just on the ability to add two numbers. Right. So... Yeah, so for for the layman listener, you know, performing math on it just means you can do cool mathematical tricks, like add numbers to both the signature or both the public key and the private key, and then it still adds up and still works, or you can add signatures or like all that kind yeah, of cool stuff. Yeah, which in the end translates to more privacy and less block space usage. So it's all good. Nice. And that's included in the Lipsec. <laughs> this is the last time I'm going to pronounce this. Lipsec P250. K1 library yeah. and that means we're getting ready we're getting to ready to pump and to the bulls warming up sure is that right I'm sure it is okay then I think this was the episode wasn't it yep yeah. thank you for listening to the Van Weerdem Shorsnado there you go